3: Another day, another rally, where stocks frankly go up on nothing. The Dow gaining 251 points, S&P jumping 1.64%. The Nasdaq screaming higher, finishing up 2.56%. Sometimes stocks deserve to go up on nothing, but it still seems a little quizzical to see stocks levitate like they're doing here. Now, there are three main ways that stocks do go higher. You can have better-than-expected earnings, all right? Let me know. understand that. Second, you have what we call self-help. That could be selling your business, breaking it up. Third, hype. <laughs> Never mind, we call it multiple expansion in the business. Meaning we're paying more basically for the same level of earnings or story, betting that someone else will take it off our hands for a price that's still higher. Okay? Some people call it the greater fool theory. Multiple expansion is what we saw today when Wall Street got hyped about the best of the best. Look at what led us hire. Start with Apple, okay? And it's always fun to start with Apple because you know how much I like it about. You, you, you follow Apple. I follow out Apple. We all know that they launch a new phone tomorrow, and you've got to be under a rock not to. It's the ultimate non-event event because new iPhones come out like clockwork, so everyone has them on the calendar. We all know what's going to happen. We know there'll be a mix of positives and negatives about size, weight, cost, color. That always is the case, even with 5G in it. And then we end up buying it, of course. It's almost a dog bites man story. Y- yet that didn't stop Wedbush's Dan Ives, nice person, publishing a piece titled, The Grand Entrance for iPhone 12 Begins. Cook Kip kicks off Supercycle Tuesday. He calls it the most important launch in six years before describing it as a once in a decade product launch. He points to stepped-up demand for components for the larger version, which is true. We know that from Marvell. We know that, by the way, Skyworks Solutions will probably have an upside surprise. And uh, he says that China's the linchpin of this whole thesis. Again, dog bites man. Let me read you uh, one, uh, let's say, uh, pertinent snippet. Quote, Cook and company have the stage set for a super cycle product release, which should drive shares further, in our opinion. End quote. Well, 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 a super cycle, huh? Listen. When you call something a supercycle, you're going to catch people's attention. Unfortunately, I'm superstitious about supercycles. That word's the ultimate jinx. We heard about the coal supercycle in 2011, right before the entire coal industry crashed and burned. It was a once-in-a-lifetime collapse. In October 2014, Morgan Stanley called for a fracking sand supercycle. That was almost exactly where the price of oil peaked, kicking off a multi-year meltdown to sand fracking, or fracking sand, or whatever. So when this analyst talks about an iPhone super uh, super cycle, I feel like he's tempting fate. That said, you know, I like Apple. I think you should own it, not trade it. But people are going to buy it today and they're going to sell it tomorrow because it didn't go higher again. We've seen this time and again. The bar has now been set so high going into the launch that there's a good chance Apple will disappoint today's buyers. The darn thing rallied more than 6% today. Talk about great expectations. Siri, will the stock go still higher? Quizzical. Then there's Amazon, which jumped almost 5%. Unless you're living under a rock, you know tomorrow's Amazon Prime Day, which is actually two days this year. Go figure that out, right? We're in a pandemic. We know there's going to be a ton of shopping. Well, wh- why not wait? But that's not how John Blackledge and Cowan sees things. Today, he jumped the gun and gave you a preview that's outrageously bullish on Prime Day and the extended holiday shopping. He's expecting a demand surge, which suggests a permanence to shifting consumer behavior. Yeah, I know. I know. Like Today you have to say it. You really have to say it today. I mean, again, there's nothing wrong with this piece. It's just that it brings nothing new to the table because everybody kind of knows this stuff already. Personally, I think it'd been better to say nothing because now the stock is roared ahead and it'll be harder for Amazon to live up to the prime day hype. And you can see some of these analysts saying downgrading, uh, uh, you know, trimming numbers, doing something negative because they're let down by prime day. That's the kind of stuff that happens on Wall Street. Next up, have you noticed that the stocks of Google and Facebook have been lagging their smaller competitors like Snap or Pinterest? Well, Lloyd Walmsley at Deutsche Bank noticed. And that's why he's pounding the table on both winners today, sending them soaring. Walmsley says he prefers Google because it's been a laggard, even as Facebook has a big fourth quarter e-commerce product cycle, though he still recommends buying them both. Now, just like with Apple and Amazon, I mostly agree with this guy. I like Google, which is up only 17% for the year, but it has a habit of disappointing investors when it reports. I was hoping that for once the expectations would be low enough to be easily beaten. But this kind of hype, that's a lot less likely. Honestly, I'm hoping the government breaks up Google's parent company, Alphabet, because I think the sum of the parts is worth more than the whole. Uh, Google, Cloud, Waymo, YouTube, Search, and the uh, health business, they're all be better off as standalone companies. One of the few cases where overzealous antitrust enforcement could actually benefit shareholders. As for Facebook, I love the Shops initiative that's boosting small and medium-sized businesses. Have you noticed how much of the heat's died down since Facebook became an e-commerce facilitator? I think it's bought the company a ton of goodwill to be with small and medium-sized businesses. That said, there's nothing in this research report to boost numbers. It's just hype. I don't know about you, but I was already hyped about Facebook. I'm a little less hyped with the stock up 4% today. How about another piece by a Deutsche Bank analyst, Taylor McGuinness? There's a great name, Taylor McGuinness. Uh, now, let uh, talk about Microsoft Cloud business, uh, Azure, and quote, the checks came back more mixed on deal activity, and that made me nervous, then McGinnis says not to worry. Given the durability and fundamental strength of Microsoft and tailwinds from the work from home phenomena, we continue to to weather the storm better than most of its software peers, and we remain bullish. Hey, I like Microsoft, too. But the only actual news in this piece was negative. Doesn't matter. Stock rallied 2.6%. Look, I don't want to pick on Deutsche Bank today, but the truth is, uh, is it, it was responsible for a great deal of the tech rally. Walmsley, the guy who likes Facebook and Google, also recommended Twitter with the catchy phrase, come fly with me. <laughs> this is written co-written by Sinatra, Upgrade to buy and raising TP. That's target price, by the way, not toilet paper. Now, I always loved Sammy Khan, but I never expected one of his songs would work into, the, into an upgrade. This piece openly acknowledges that it's what we call a re-rate. Meaning Twitter's finally starting to get respect for its turnaround. The analyst doesn't want to miss the boat. When you see re-rate, that's also code for it. It's the same company, but now people are starting to pay for it more than they used to. Again, not wrong. I've been saying Twitter's radically undervalued for ages. It's nice to see someone else acknowledge that. But the stock surged 5% today. Without another upgrade, that kind of move will prove to be unsustainable. Now, it's not all tech. Wendy Nicholson, one of my absolute favorite analysts, top flight uh, over at City, upgrades PepsiCo from hold to buy. I read through the note. It's one of those pieces that says enough with the stock's underperformance. It's gotten too cheap versus the rest of the group. The title is literally after five years of relative underperformance, we think now is the time to buy PEP. She gives it a 169 price dollar target and is betting the stock will pay, play catch up. Give me some relative outperformance. Me. I don't want relative app performance. I want absolute performance. And I'm not getting it from this piece, even though, once again, I mostly agree with Nicholson, which is why we own PepsiCo for my Chapel Trust. Bottom line, today's rally really was based on hope and hype, not new facts. Can we go higher? Sure. But these prices are thin reeds that make me want to pull my horns. When everyone starts agreeing with you, and they agree with me on every one of these calls, but much higher, well, that's when you need to get more cautious, not... More exuberant. Let's go to Brad in California.
1: Brad.
3: An early Halloween booyah, Jim. Well, I like that seasonal uh, I've got, stuff. I've got, a, I've got a high-flying stock for you. It's been a sure dog lately. Um, it's a 737 Max parts maker that's trading
1: near its uh, March lows, about 80% off its uh, 2019
3: highs. But they seem to be cutting costs and upping liquidity. I uh, wanted to hear if you thought uh, Spirit Aerosystems, ticker SPR, was ready for takeoff. It's a nice derivative of, uh, of Boeing. Um, my travel trust has started to buy Boeing. I had a call Wednesday with club members, and we're going to hash that out about why we think Boeing is right. Spirit and GE are both, in many ways, stocks that will be brought up if things go right for Boeing. So I'm not going to, I, you know, it's a nice spec. Let's go to Dexter in California. Dexter.
4: Go. <laughs> booyah,
3: Jimbo. Wow. How do you like that? He has a child booyah. What's going on? Family booya, Jim. Oh, family. Appreciate All right. It. Sounds good. We love your show. We're big fans. That's Thank my you. My son Ben. Thank you. And we love it. Jim, I got a question for you. Everybody needs
4: money, and with historically low borrowing rates, this company makes it really simple and easy to apply online or over the phone. I sound like an infomercial now. I don't even work for the company.
3: What's your opinion on the Lending Tree? I like Doug Gleb. We've had a moment. The stock was being pushed down it, it just by shorts relentlessly. They were wrong. Doug came on the show, told us right. Ah. I need to go to Richard in Florida. Richard.
4: Yeah, are Richard. you, Jim. What's going on? Uh, I need your opinion on S-I-R-I as a spec. I need the
3: intermediate and long-term buy, sell, or old. Well, you know, seriously, I mean, I know it's being levered right now by what happens with Howard Stern, but it's actually a place when you—it's a, it's a play on used cars, and used cars are very hot. So I am in favor of the stock of S-I-R-I. Okay, okay, another day, another rally where stocks go up or nothing. That, that makes me a little more nervous today than, than I would normally. I like ideas, facts. Oh man, money tonight, forget Ford versus Ferrari. I'm talking Ford versus GE. Don't miss my take on who comes out on top. Then new acronym alert. I'm talking the lag plays. I'll reveal the names and what it means for your portfolio. And former NFL exec are a is behind the latest sports-related SPAC. And I've, I've got the exclusive about a $10 stock to see if it could be a slam dunk for you. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features, like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business – and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
0: A new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Available wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Forget Ford versus Ferrari. Admittedly a great movie that deserved both Oscars. These days, though, we've got a new race. It's Ford versus General Electric. Two iconic yet beaten down American industrials with single-digit stocks in a sprint to 10 bucks. Obviously, Ford and GE aren't direct competitors. Ford makes cars and trucks. The newly slimmed-down GE is mostly an aerospace and power company, but also has uh, health care. They do have something in common, and I think their recent trajectories tell us a lot about this market. Both are great American companies that became long-term losers, steadily falling from grace and seeing their stocks sink to single-digit levels. Both have started to show green shoots, making investors more optimistic about the future for the first time in ages. Both are beloved by the Robin Hood crowd, which loves single-digit stocks with a ton of name recognition. So tonight we're handicapping the Ford versus GE race. And admittedly, Ford is uh, about a point ahead, so we've got to like, spot GE. You know, we'll give one, so to speak, as they say in the business. I do like both stocks here, though. Only one can hit that sweet $10 level first. I mean, it could be a close tie. It could be a photo finish. Why do we care about this race to $10? Because money managers care. Lots of professionals won't touch single-digit stocks. It's too risky. You don't trade at 6 bucks and change when things are going well. But once you cross $10, it tells Wall Street, hey, maybe these guys have finally gotten their act together, and you get another leg higher. It just works like that. Let's start with how these once-great companies got to their current low lease station, with GE at 6 bucks and change, while Ford surges ahead, currently trading at $7.67 after a monster 5%-plus today move, uh, thanks to a very unexpected upgrade that was quite reasonable In 2011, Ford was at $18.75, I remember, because we went out to see them. And since then, it's almost been totally downhill. Stock hasn't traded in the teens since 2018. This is a story of epic mismanagement, frankly. Ford was the only one of the big three automakers to emerge from the financial crisis without taking any bailout money. In retrospect, maybe that was a mistake because the last decade has been a financial horror show. First, Ford's growth slowed to the very low single digits. Then its margins shrunk uh, and then shrunk again to the point where the operating margin, the percentage of sales they keep as earnings before interest and taxes, dropped to basically zero. Now, I could spend all night getting to what went wrong here, but here's the short version. First, Ford spent years making the wrong type of cars. Even as gas prices peaked six years ago, they kept trying to sell small cars when Americans wanted SUVs and crossovers. They finally they got religion and massively cut back production of passenger cars a little over two years ago. But by then, they'd done real damage to their balance sheet, which had always been so important. Second, and maybe even more important, Ford's international business was terrible. What a mess. There always seemed to be some issue coming from the company's far-flung overseas operations, Ford never figured out a good strategy for China and South America kept <laughs> coming up as a problem over and over and over again. As a result, Ford's motor, Ford Motor had a rotating cast of chief executives. Alma Mulally retired in 2014, but he saved the company from bankruptcy, so we have to salute him. And Mark Fields lasted about three years, and then the most recent one, Jim Hackett, late of Steelcase, the office cabinet maker, what does that have to do with cars? Got pushed out this past August. By the time COVID hit, this thing looked like a disaster. In March, Ford borrowed over $15 billion from two different credit lines, suspended its dividend that so many people liked, before reporting a gigantic loss in April. Since then, though, the business, has started to turn around. Thanks to the pandemic, people are terrified of mass transit and carpooling, which means we're seeing a massive surge in demand for autos. Ford's most recent quarter came in much better than feared. And in August, they promoted COO Jim Farley to the CEO spot. I think he's doing a great job. He's got two edges over the last crew. He likes cars and trucks, and he doesn't like losing money. Earlier this month, Ford reported much better than expected third quarter sales, down to just 4.9% year-over-year, despite the pandemic, a whopping 27% increase in the previous quarter. Uh, this was their best quarter for pickup trucks since 2005, and the truck business is incredibly profitable. Farley's rationalizing, he's getting out of the losers, backing the winners like all good executives do. How about GE? Okay, this is a tough one. The decline and fall of GE has taken decades, but as recently as 2016, it still had a $30 stock. Now it's uh, below 7 Again, I could spend an entire show on the collapse of, of, uh, of GE former CEO Jeff Immel, series of disastrous strategic acquisitions, buying Alstom, the big French power infrastructure company, terrible deal, acquiring Baker Hughes, big player in the oil service business not long after oil peak, terrible deal. It, uh, some horrible financial deals that were just made that nobody really understood, and I think he didn't either. It turned out that GE had written some idiotic long-term care insurance contracts that dramatically underpriced them, and these blew a gigantic hole in the balance sheet. After Imelt retired in 2017, his replacement, John Flaring, who was in the very successful uh, healthcare business, began the thankless job of cleaning up his mess. Uh, but it really wasn't his mess. And he discovered more and more problems, and the very next year, Flaring was sent packing two. So two years ago, General Electric brings in Larry Culp. He's the former CEO of Danner. Now, he had been on the board. And that's arguably the best-run conglomerate in the world. Culp took aggressive action to shore up the balance sheet, selling off assets, including some good ones, unfortunately, cutting the dividend to a penny per share. He had to do that to preserve the balance sheet, ultimately trimming GE down to an aerospace, healthcare, and power company. By the beginning of this year, Culp's turnaround was clearly working. But then COVID put air travel on hold, and GE stock was cut in half again, ultimately bottoming at 5 bucks and change in mid-May. Since then, the stock's had a couple of abortive rallies, and in the past few weeks, it's started moving up again. I do think that this time it's better. First of all, air travel is slowly but surely returning slowly. Remember, contrary to popular opinion, very few people seem to catch COVID on planes or in the airports. The ventilation's too good, and people wear masks. Plus, it looks like Boeing's approval to get reappro—oh, you know—to get the reapproval for the 737 Max, which had a lot of components from GE, and not that far away. To put it very simply, GE is a recovery play. If you think we'll get a vaccine sooner rather than later, you know what. This $6 stock may pass Ford on its way to 10 And listen, I'm not the only one saying this. On Friday, Goldman Sachs put out this really good piece, reinstated coverage on GE, where they give a $10, a $10 price target. So they're playing the game, too, which is what gave me the idea for this piece. That and the fact that I liked Ford versus Ferrari, the movie. As Goldman sees it, GE is the best self-help vaccine story across industrials. So who does win the race to $10? let us get to the head-to-head comparison. Right now, Ford sells for roughly 10 times next year's earnings estimates, much cheaper than GE at more than 20 times earnings. Given that the earnings are depressed, you could look at the other metrics, but GE is much more expensive on a cash flow basis, too. Those are the two metrics that we're looking at. In short, Ford is a much clearer value play, and I also think it has a better story. Sure, GE's core aerospace business will come back eventually. But Ford's core auto market is coming back now. And the F-150 is going to go electric in a couple of years. Right now, they're frantically trying to meet demand. Used prices are through the roof. Plus, Ford's got more momentum. It's also much closer to the finish line. Bottom line, longer term, I think both Ford and General Electric are headed back to the double digits. But if you only want one, one of these Robin Hood favorites in your portfolio, I would go with Ford. Stick with Cramer. Another day where the averages roared higher. Bye, 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 bye. All kinds of bull markets coming out of the woodwork, including some that few of us anticipated. With COVID trapping millions of us at home and making us afraid to shop for things in person, you, you would think that mall-based retailers would all be roadkill, right? Wrong. The whole group got slammed when the pandemic first rolled in. But lately we've seen a miraculous comeback in three mall-based retailers. L-brands, American Eagle Outfitters, and The Gap. Who the heck could have seen that coming? Well, one guy actually did. J.P. Morgan's Matthew Boss, the best retail analyst in the game. Well, he's been pounding the table on these three stocks for months. He calls it the lag trade, L-A-G, which is the perfect acronym because these things were some of the worst laggards in the market. See, o- over the summer, Boss realized that all three of these retailers had become extraordinarily cheap. But unlike other beaten-down chains, L Brands, American Eagle and Gap all had something positive going for them, either an embedded growth driver okay, or a strong concept that made him think they could maintain their market share during this tough time. Oh, he absolutely did nail this one. And while each of these stocks has roared since Boss started pounding the table, I think they've got more room to run or else I wouldn't be doing this piece. Let's take them one by one, starting with L Brands. That's the parent company of Victoria's Secret and Bath & Body Works. Here's a company that was in the doghouse long before COVID came along. Once the pandemic hit, putting the kibosh on mall-based retail, L Brands was written off and left for dead. They'd been trying to sell the ailing Victoria's Secret brand to a private equity firm, but in May, the buyers pulled out and they figured the business was doomed. But then in late July, L rolled out a restructuring plan, $400 million in annualized cost cuts, with nearly half of those savings realized this year. They also gave us a business update. And while the aggregate numbers weren't great, management pointed to some spectacular strength at Bath and Body Works, projecting 10% sales growth for the second quarter. That makes sense, right? Housewares are on fire because people are stuck at home. Uh, plus, Bath & Body Works was always a solid asset. It just usually gets overshadowed by hitty summers from Victoria's Secret. Hey, it doesn't hurt to be selling soap at a time when people watch it and it sells all the time. The next day, a bunch of analysts raised the price targets, and Matthew Boss did them one better. Upgrading the stock from neutral to buy and giving it a $32 price target It was trading at $19 at the time. Why? Because he sees Bath & Body Works as the, quote, best current comp story in brick and mortar retailer, meaning the comparable store sales. Despite the fact that their stores were closed for half the quarter, his research suggested they were seeing 80% same-store sales growth in the reopened locations. Meanwhile, digital is up 90%, and that's when some of the uh, some of us uh, started speculating that hey, maybe L Brands could break itself up because Bath and Body Works on its own might be worth a fortune. When the company reported its actual second quarter results two months ago, the, uh, Bath & Body Works delivered 87% same-store sales growth, even better than Boss predicted. While L Brands hasn't fully embraced the logic of breaking itself up, they did form a joint venture to spin off the Victoria's Secret stores in the U.K. and Ireland. Plus, the company announced a big tender offer to retire $1 billion, fairly high interest rate debt. Stories just have to keep betting better. Boss says the stock could be worth between 38 to 51 on some of the parts basis, potentially a lot of upside from where it's trading right now at 32. And yes, I know. Did we miss the bottom? Absolutely. But I like that upside. And remember, the market does go down and gives you a chance to buy it. You're not just stuck with this closing price tonight. Next up, American Eagle Outfitters. Now, this is a teen retailer, and boy, have we ever tried to stay away from these because teens are unpredictable, and it's been right to stay away from them, but not this one. American Eagle's got a great growth property. It's called Aerie, A-E-R-I-E. That's their lifestyle brand for intimates, apparel, and activewear. Last year, Aerie posted 20% same-store sales growth, and management believes they've still got a ton of room to expand. All this was before the pandemic, but on August 12th, Matthew Boss upgraded American Eagle from neutral to overweight as part of his broader introduction of the lag trade. At the time, the stock was at 11 and change. Boss gave it a $17 price Price target. Now it's at 15. Now, thanks to the strength of this one airy brand, which a lot of people really love, he made a bet that American Eagle could soar. And once again, he got it right. When the company reported its second quarter results a month ago, it delivered a magnificent top and bottom line beat. Though the core American Eagle brand was down 26 percent, Airy sales grew up by 32 percent, up from 22 percent last year. I think the stock still doesn't reflect the strength of this terrific concept. Boss now has a $21 price target on it. I like that call. All right, now how about Gap? This is a household name, right? Just like American Eagle, boss thinks Gap's got something special. In this case, it's Athleta, which is basically their knockoff version of Lululemon, which is incredibly sky-high stock. Hey, if you can't bid them, join them, or in this case, copy them. You might think there wouldn't be much demand for apparel at this stay-at-home economy, but the truth is it's more complicated than that. Sure, lots of apparel doesn't work. People don't really need more business casual stuff they can wear to the office, but comfortable stuff you can wear at home? That's a different story. See, COVID has created a world where if you still have a job, you've got a lot more spending money because there's just so many things you can't do. No fancy haircuts, no football tickets, no movies. Basically, you can't pay for many services. So instead, people are spending that extra money on goods, like comfy clothes from Athleta or Old Navy. When The Gap reported much better than feared results in late August, Atlanta's same-store sales were up 19%. Old Navy's were up 24%. While the brick-and-mortar business took a hit, they moved a ton of merchandise online. Even The Gap brand saw same-store sales up 12%. Banana Republic was the only brand where digital wasn't enough to offset in-person weakness. All told, brick-and-mortar stores were nearly cut in half, while digital sales almost doubled. Meanwhile, the company's closing 225 Gap and Banana Republic locations that are struggling. They haven't closed the stores for a long time. Now, these, these ruthless store closures are actually a good business decision, although obviously they're terrible if you work there. Still, these closures are the reason Boss upgraded Gap from underweight to neutral on June 1st. Since then, the stock's up 117%, 28% gain since he included it in lag in mid-August. Listen, there's really only one thing you need to know about the Gap right now. At the beginning of the month, the company announced they'd be hiring... Not firing. Hiring an extra 50,000 seasonal workers to boost their omni-channel efforts going into the holidays. You, you don't commit to hiring tens of thousands of people unless business has gotten better, right? Best part? All three stocks are still pretty cheap. L Brand sells for 14 times next year's earnings estimates. American Eagle at 13 times. Gap's most expensive at 18 times, but still pretty reasonable. The bottom line on the lag trade Matt Boss is the best retail analyst in the business. He's been right on this lagged stock group every step of the way. And I agree with him. Elbrance, American Eagle, and The Gap, they all have more room to run. Let's go to John in Utah. John. Chilly, chill, chill, man. What's going on? I don't know. Um, the wife is singing the chill thing. She doesn't like the chill thing. She doesn't I, like I it. Give my, she says you're not wanna, chill at all, Jim. I don't know. I wore my man, suit to the, I, to the garden. What's up? I think you're chill, Jim. Well, I got a name for you that's been on my radar. I bought it at 180 sold it at $220. Um, they have had some recent headwinds of the closing of 19 stores, a Canadian expansion that's been halted to focus on the domestic business. Q2 earnings missed on revenue, same-store sales, and profit. The company's doing a good job building customer loyalty. As we head into the holidays, there is a lot of questions. With a healthy price-to-earnings ratio of 48 do I buy, ticker
4: symbol U-L-T-A.
3: Yes, I like it. I'll tell you why I like it. I like it because there's a person by the name, Mary Dillon, who runs it. And she happens to be a fabulous business person. And she will come up with strategies to, to serve the underserved in this country who deserve and can afford great stuff. By the way, I use Ulta stuff all the time. I went on their website. It's terrific. Uh, Dylan Rebecca, and I, we both like a big, big Ulta people. And Dillon uh, Dylan runs he runs, basically runs my life, uh, the part that my wife doesn't run. All right, there you go. Matt Bo- including the mask challenge. Matt Bo- Bush is right. The Livestocks, stocks, L Brands, American Eagle, and the Gap all have more room to run. Now, there's much more mad money ahead, including my sit-down with the latest sports back, Sports Entertainment Acquisition Corp. Is it a touchdown for your portfolio? I'll find out when I sit down with the top rest of this $10 company, Robin Hooders. Then I spot another quite bull market you may have missed. I'm going to reveal it just ahead. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's session of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. This is the year of the Special Purpose Acquisition Company, or SPAC. These are so-called blank check businesses. They hold an IPO, raise a pile of money, and then search for potential takeover targets. By now, you can probably name a bunch of these. DraftKings came public via a merger with the SPAC, as did Virginia, uh, Virgin Galactic. Hey, Uts, we liked that one a lot. Nikola, we've had some problems with that. Earlier this month, we learned that Playboy's returned to the stock market again via the same mechanism. For the most part, I'm wary of these things, but every now and then there's one that's really compelling enough to bet on, which brings me to Sports Entertainment Acquisition Corp., which came public a week and a half ago under the symbol SEAH.U. Their mission self-explanatory, buying businesses in the fields of sports and entertainment. These facts are all about bloodlines. You're basically betting solely on management. Sports entertainment is run by John Collins, previously the CEO of On Location Enterprises. Uh, sorry, Experiences. That's called Olay, by the way. does hospitality for all sorts of sporting events. Before that, he was the CEO of the National Hockey League. Meanwhile, the chairman CFO, Eric Grubman, was the chairman of On Location Experiences. Again, that's the Olay. And before that, the executive vice president of the NFL, a co-president of Constellation Energy Group, a partner at Goldman Sachs officer in the U.S. Navy. That's a heck of a resume. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Eric Grubman. He's the chairman and chief financial officer of the Noon of Sports Entertainment Acquisition Corp. Mr. Grubman, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Hey, Jim. How you doing? Glad to be here.
3: Oh, uh, great to see you, Eric. Last time you were here, you were uh, with the NFL. You've got a whole new perspective. When I think of you, I now am betting on Eric Grubman. I haven't been able to do that when you were at <laughs> Goldman, at Constellation, or the NFL, which is private Is that something that you you want that pressure?
4: Yeah, I want the pressure. I I think of it as betting on myself and um, I'm confident uh, in doing that. And I've got a couple of great partners.
3: Now, when I look at the uh, orb in your documents, there's a lot of entertainment and there's a lot of sports. Uh, Must it be one or the other or are you looking for a combination?
4: No, let's let's talk about that. It's the way it's described, and the way we talk to investors about it is it's sports and entertainment, and then the technologies and services that are associated with those verticals. So if you draw um, the picture of all of the things that could be in it, it's it's pretty wide, and it, it's business around. Uh, What people do in their spare time for fun, for entertainment, but all of the things that enable them to do that. So it could be uh, could be directly into sports and entertainment or it could be into an enabling technology or enabling service.
3: Well, why, if that's the case, why not come public, say, as a technology company?
4: Why did you pick a SPAC? Because it doesn't have to be a technology company to make us and our investors happy. What it really has to be is a good pub- public company, something that when we merge with it, people will recognize the attributes that make them want to own it. It's as simple as that. That could be tech. It could be something else.
3: Now, how do the fees compare with a typical hedge fund?
4: Well, I'm glad you asked that question because the, the fees are high if you just look at the amount of money that a SPAC raises. So if we, if, if I raised, it's just a really put it in simple terms. If I raised 100 bucks and then did a deal for 100 bucks, the fees to the, the people who did the deal with us would look very high. But as you know, when, when these SPACs are doing a deal, the thing that raises 100 bucks is doing a deal for 1000 or 2000 or 3000 And all the rest of that deal size does not come uh, along with fees. So the amount of fees spread over the deal size is usually pretty small.
3: Okay, now when you look at this, did you start by saying to your partners, "You know what, boy? There's a lot of stuff for sale. We got to do something," or is it something totally different? Which is, you know what, I've got some great ideas, and if we had some money in us back, we could execute.
4: It's the second one. It is. I, I didn't. I'm not smart enough to know what market will be in six months, twelve months, eighteen months from now. And frankly, I wasn't smart enough to know what market would be in a week after we um, did the the public offering. I'm smart enough to know about businesses that we can understand. And I'm smart enough, along with my partners and other investors, to know what kind of company should make a good public company. And so with those ideas and having a pretty good understanding of the sectors we're looking at, I thought it was worth a bet on myself and a bet on John Collins and a bet on Chris Shumway. And those two fellows also wanted to bet on themselves and one another.
3: And one's hedge fund manager of great success was a Tiger Cub. And the other obviously has tremendous experience. All right, so one last question. I've been to football games with you. Uh, All the times (laughs) you always say the same thing, which is that this is the only game I can see. I've got to work. I have to work. I have to work. In your time at the NFL, did you see some things that could be really interesting to develop yourself that now you're starting to put pen to paper on?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, on location, you call it Olay. Look, the, the if you look at sports and entertainment, it has had a tremendous amount of private capital and it has had private equity capital associated with it. But in a lot of the sectors, it's had tremendous creativity, entrepreneurs, founders, but it hasn't had a tremendous amount of public capital associated with it. And so, yeah, there are ideas. It doesn't mean I'm smarter than people who are at leagues or at teams. Right. It just means that I'm bringing a capital markets perspective to it. And I'm someone they have talked to before. So if, if it feels when, when someone's trying to sell an IPO to a league or to an owner, it may feel like they're trying to sell something to them. And I, I'm, I'm of the view that that's not what it will feel like, that we can have a conversation based on, them understanding me and I understand them, as does John Collins. And, and so if we're trying to solve a problem or take advantage of an opportunity, and they have the problem and they have the opportunity, then a, then a SPAC just becomes a tool. And, and by the way, it's a really useful tool because you can do a lot of things with a SPAC that you can't do with an IPO. So this is not better than an IPO. It's just different. And so with that kind of flexibility, my hunch is that we can find some things that will work out.
3: All right, that's a great explainer. Most of the people who do the SPACs, they, they, they tend to be uh, opaque, don't really want to talk about what they could do. I want to thank you, Eric, and you're absolutely right. You can't, you know, you can buy Green Bay shares, right? I mean, there was Boston <laughs> Celtics shares at one point. But now we have a way to bet if you think that sports is a great entertainment business as I do and enter- entertaining is all get out. Eric Grubman, Chairman and CFO, Sports Entertainment Acquisition Corp. Guys, it's a $10 stock. To me alone, that's exciting. Stick with Kramer. It is time. It's time for the light Real It's a wrap. one, and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, Daddy? over the the lightning. Let's start with Mike in Pennsylvania. Mike! Thanks for taking my call, Jim. I appreciate it. I need your opinion on Wingstop. Buy, sell, or hold? I think Wingstop's great, but I do prefer pizza. I think pizza has better technology, and Wingstop did not have that great a quarter this time. Uh, they've had better ones in the past. Let's go to Luis in Florida. Luis. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I am doing well. How about you? Good, good. Next place So, I have a question for you. Um, there was a stock I was looking at last month, um, around this time. It's JKS, Jinko Solar. And uh, last month, around this time, it was trading around twenty dollars. And today, it's at sixty-three. Right. Um, did I miss out on it, or is something that could I see a better buying opportunity than now? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, this is about tariffs and Trump. Uh, And these stocks are all up because of tariffs. I would not want to touch them now. I just think they're way too hot. I don't like way too hot. Let's go to Steve in Illinois, please, Steve. Big Chicago Bears, Booyah Jimbo, how are you? Hey, much better than expected, Booyah. (laughs) Yes, sir. Well, Nick Foles, uh, Booyah, he gets it done. What's up? (laughs) I wanted to ask you about FTC. I'm up 16% since August. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I think they've done a lot of right things since August. I think that they've done some things that make people feel like they shouldn't be shorted. And therefore, the stock can still climb maybe as high as 15. I think it's probably worth owning till then. Let's go to Nick in New Jersey. Nick. Hey, what's up, Jim? How you doing, buddy? I am doing well. How about you? Great, great. I know you're a fan of these packs and and the EV field. So uh, my my boy Gio here wants to ask you something. All right,
4: Booyah, Gio Jim. On. Can you tell? <laughs> sorry, Booyah, Jim. Can you tell me if I should buy this new battery company, KCAC? Um,
3: well, you know it's one of. Listen, um, it's a smart kid there. Um, you know it's another one of these uh, EVs. Um, It's got this uh, quantum scare that's going to take place. Uh, Look, uh, let's do work on it. This young young lad deserves more information than I'm giving him. I don't want to give him the impression that you can just go to class and say an answer and not have done the homework. I need to do homework. Let's go to James in Pennsylvania. James. Jim, how are you? Thank you for having me on today. I am good. How about you? I'm doing well, thank you. My question is about the company Energy Transfer. Uh, the
1: figure is ET. Uh, lately, there's been a change in leadership. They have a distribu- uh, very high distribution. And I think the company is different because 85% of their revenue is contracted
3: out, not based on the current price of oil. Uh, yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I-, I don't like the company. There's too much debt. I know that that change in management should be significant. But the fact is, is this pipeline business is just a terrible business. The master limited partnership business is a terrible business. These are all stocks that a lot of wealthy individuals got involved with, and they're losing like, losing their shirts, and no one wants to be in them. And I use Rusty Brazil stuff, and I don't feel any confidence at all about any pipeline company, even the best of them. Let's go to Bill in Florida. Bill. Hey, uh, Jim. Thanks for uh taking the call i increased my position in uh cracker barrel
4: last week and i was curious what you thought of cracker Barrel. i like
3: cracker barrel i think that they are always the first to come back when travel comes back they're fun uh they're interesting they're family oriented i like them i think you're okay in that let's go to dan in florida dan kramer thanks for taking my call Uh um yeah, I just started. Uh, I'm a new investor. I started watching your show in March. I love it. I watch it every you. day after
1: work. I've learned so much. I appreciate all you do. Uh, my question is, a few months ago, you did a segment on oil. with, uh, And you had said that you like Diamondback and
3: EOG as long-term plays. I purchased some EOG after that segment. It's been killing me since. You used well, I mean, look, it's, there's only a couple that are investable. Chevron's investable. Uh, EOG is investable, Pioneer's investable, Parsley's investable, uh, and, and that, that's it. I'm not recommending, I mean, I, I'm saying that these are not my faves, but if you like them, that's how I've always put it, if you like them, then those are the ones. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Stop
3: fretting about the stimulus negotiations. I'd love it if the Democrats and Republicans could hammer out a deal, really help the working person. But the truth is, we just don't know. Maybe they reach a much-needed compromise. Maybe they blow it. I say forget about the stimulus talks and start buying. Buy, buy, buy! The agriculture stocks, because there's a fabulous bull market in ag right now. And that doesn't depend on politics. If you remember last week, I put together seven different areas that don't need a stimulus plan to work. This is one of them. And it's taking everyone by surprise, even though it's essentially hidden in plain sight like Poe's purloined letter. Let's do this snippet from a J.P. Morgan piece about deer last week. Quote, a perfect storm just blew over the U.S. agriculture section with crop supplies significantly tighter than anticipated and demand accelerating in the near term. End quote. The analyst goes on to say we are raising our growth and margin assumptions in light of stronger fundamentals into year end that combined with the record high government direct payments in 2020 should translate into increased spending on North American ag equipment, end quote, even better. J.P. Morgan likes how things are shaping up for 2021 with solid supply and demand dynamics coupled with China aggressively buying American ag products. The analyst has that, quote the short term fundamentals outlook now appears significantly better for U.S. farmers, which I think is music to any bulls. But there is there's one slight problem here. The analyst still has a sell rating on deer. That's right. Even though they raise numbers, even though they're raving about agriculture, even they think that next year is going to be terrific, they want you to sell the stock of deer. I think that's crazy, and the bearish analysts will end up getting trampled by the bulls, at which point they'll be forced to upgrade, and the stock will go still higher. Now, if deer's good, you can't forget their competitor, Agco, run by the great Martin Rieschenhagen. We've had him on the show many times. He's repeatedly told us that his company is way too cheap, given the long-term outlook for food in Europe and Latin America. Over the past seven years, this man, knowing that the stock was depressed, retired about a quarter of the share count, something that looks rather smart now that the demand for tractors is off the charts, according to a very bullish Jeffrey's report about inventory. They are at the lowest supply level we have seen in more than 10 years. Uh, Supply down, demand high. Talk about a bull market. That's not all. When Dow Chemical and DuPont merged, they spun off their combined crop protection and seed business. It was a company called Corteva. Anyone who's ever grown corn knows these guys. You I actually grew corn for a while. I mean, what the heck do I know? They're in over 140 countries, and their genetically modified seeds produce some of the best yields in the business. Last week, though, a very smart activist firm called Starboard Value started coming after Corteva, uh, arguing that it's lagged its peers in the markets too well. Honestly, when I, f- I first read the presentation, it made me want to buy the stock because Starboard usually does a terrific job of making management focus on unlocking value. This is an immensely profitable business with few competitors. It should be making more money. And that's a lot easier to do when you've got an agriculture bull market. Finally, hey, let's not forget about the FERTs also known as the fertilizers. Like seeds and farm equipment, there just aren't enough publicly traded fertilizer players. There sure were what I got in the business. And that's why I like Mosaic, which is now using technology to dominate the industry. Last month, the company held an analyst meeting where they told us their operating costs are down and productivity is up. Given that fertilizer is a commodity business, the fact that mosaic's taking costs so seriously tells me that the stock's got more room to run. It's a quiet bull market that's being fought tooth and nail, but the bears can't stop it. The darn thing is just too powerful. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you i would find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
0: Is America's primary system working?